Today we'll be speaking with the general manager of Tenzai Winery, Martin Shen, about making wine in a desert. Hi everybody, I'm your host Emily Steckenborn and you're listening to Bottled in China. This is the podcast that dives into the delicious and fascinating world of food and beverage. We cover market innovation, trends, and culture with thought leaders from around the world. Today we're going to be diving in to Tenzai Winery and discussing how this winery has become one of the leading wines in China. In fact, it was named twice in a row China's Best Winery of the Year by Revue Vin de France, and it has actually transformed 2,000 acres of desert land into vineyards. They farm organically and they're best known for their Chardonnay, for their Syrah, as well as their Bordeaux blends, but also some of the blends that they create between Syrah and Marcelin varietal. It's also the only Chinese wine which has entered the Starbucks Reserve Roastery out in Shanghai. So it really is a representative of great wineries. And also the only Chinese wine served at the 2018 Hong Kong Nobel Prize winner dinner. So it's a wine that's a great representation of China, made really fascinatingly because we're going to be talking about the unique viticulture that they do at Tianzai Wineries and the philosophy of the winemaking out there. Before we jump into this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram where you can connect with me directly. But also, if you love this podcast, share it with a friend. This is actually how we grow. We don't do any marketing. We actually do a lot of word of mouth. And it's people like you who love this podcast that actually share it, which makes a huge difference for us. And again, if you want to show your support, click five stars on iTunes. That way we can see that, you know, we're doing a good job or leave a comment. All right, guys, let's jump right into it. And let's get started about discovering this unique winery out in Xinjiang, China. Hey everybody, welcome back to part two of today's episode with Martin. I'm excited to speak with you about Tsinzai Winery. This is exciting because the first part of the podcast, we actually discussed the region of Xinjiang. We actually discussed the climate, some of the key grape varietals, but now we're going to dive into the winery itself because you guys are probably the most famous winery in Xinjiang. One that's actually the first winery I ever tasted from Xinjiang was actually from you guys a long time right. ago, maybe three, four years ago. Uh, yeah, at a wine bar called Pudao here in China. And I was taken aback because I heard about grapes being produced there, but I always thought table grapes. So when I tasted that, I thought, wow, this is interesting. I wonder how it evolves. And here we are today speaking with you. So can you share a bit about Tianzai Estate with me and all of our listeners, the story and how it all got started? Oh, lovely to share the story. It's a touching story indeed. Actually, the founder of this winery she has her own family business, uh, which is transportation. Uh, that's a cash cow. Therefore, she has money to support her hobbies. And uh, she is really a wine lover. And she tried different Grand Cru wines. And uh, her favorite is Burgundy. And uh, she fit a lot of uh, big brands, wineries. And uh, initially, he th- she thought about to have a wine ex- winery acquisition overseas. But uh, suddenly she found out after acquisition, she cannot do too much to improve it. She can only let it on to invest as a a financial investors. That's not her ambition. So by the end of the day, he go back to China. She formed a really professional, fantastic, world-class consultant team from different perspectives in terms of uh, vineyard, in terms of winemaking stuff. 
and they do a lot of uh, project feasibility study, due diligence, etc. Finally, they decided to build the wineries in Tian uh, in the location where Tianxi is now, which is Yanqi in Xinjiang region, because this region has really fantastic fit climate in mm-hmm. terms of the sunshine, in terms of the temperature difference, in terms of dryness, in terms of the soil, etc. So although this is actually very, very difficult region for people to live uh, before the winery is built because uh, this is desert, this is Gerby, almost nobody live there. So they need to build a dormitory, bring over the team and the machines, etc. over there and to really open this virgin land to, to build the vineyard by themselves. But it's really something interesting. In the meantime, the philosophy for the founder is they would like, uh, she would like to really grow the high top quality uh, grapes for the wine. And she would like to really demonstrate what the best Chinese wine could be. So that's her ambition. So she do everything according to her philosophy. So she didn't try to drive it really big in terms of mass production, lower the cost of goods, etc. Instead, she tried to do everything in more sustainable and uh, continuously improving way. So she divided the oval vineyard to be 40 uh, pieces, and each piece is uh, 50 mu, uh, equivalent to 33,000 square meters. Mm. And uh, she assigned a couple to be the dedicated farm measurement team. And she also gave them training and the manual to specify what they should do on this land uh, in terms of irrigation, in terms of how to control the number, the ratio between the number of leaves and the, the the number of grapes and when to do the thinning, the, the fruits, etc. And they also do a lot of tests in terms of the sunshine covering because, you know, in this region, there are plenty of sunshine. And for Tensai, they would like to find out what's the big, a uh, good balance in terms of the sunshine and in terms of the, the, the fruit development. So they cover a uh, part of the leaves to see what the result will be. And because they divide the whole vineyard into 40 pieces so they can do the tests at the same time, uh, 40 tests across over the year. And so throughout the years, they can use irrigation uh, control system to control how many pieces of leaves can grow on each side of the vine. And by the end of the day, they can control the ratio of the leaves and the grace by control the irrigation mm. and stuff. So they accumulate a lot of data. So actually, if you look at the awards and accolades of uh, Tensai Vineyard uh, received across over the last decade, you can see they are definitely on the right track. The awards accolades is getting higher and higher, more and more famous and more and more uh, rewards, etc. So I believe Tensai is the only winery uh, has been uh, named as the best China winery of the year for twice. That's the only winery have this uh Award and meanwhile, Tiansai has uh, got over ninety points from Wine Advocator and Jam Cycling for over ten products. So that's also a good milestone for Tiansai to justify every pants, every efforts behind justified. So we we can improve the quality consistently, and now after several years test, now we can 
gradually focus on the varieties we believe we have a high potential, which fits uh, this land, this climate, and we can measure the quality and also, if, if not drive the better, at least it will be consistent quality. In the meantime, we can drive the scale at the same time. So that's the general development for Tianzai in this region. Wow. So it really is making a winery in a desert. Exactly. Basically, it's not like there was existing vines or existing agriculture. You guys basically took the land and created a vineyard and really in the middle of a desert, which is pretty astonishing. Now, one of my questions is when was actually the beginning of Tianzai? When, when did it start? It started uh, in 2009. They do this project uh, survey and also a lot of consultation projects. And they really built the vineyard in 2010. So now it's 2021st. So it's 11 years. Mm-hmm. And we just do our 10th anniversary celebration last year. And what was the first commercial bottling? What is the first vintage that you guys started to sell wine? Actually, 2012, we have the first vintage. It's actually the beginning of the sales only to our member clubs. It's, mm. uh, it's not to the, actually the commercial sale to the, to the market. We just sell to our friends. But still a very new winery. When you think about how well you guys are doing both internationally, also within China, I see it in quite a lot of spots. Just to think that it's only since 2012 or, or probably even after that you start to sell the product. Wow, that's pretty impressive on how it's already managed to be quite famous in China. So things move fast here, that's for sure. One of the things I just wanted to ask is, so you guys divided the plots by 40 plots. Do you guys 100% manage your own vineyards or do you guys actually have growers and you buy the fruit or is everything from your winery or most from your winery coming from your own estate? Actually, now each bottle from Tianzai Vineyard is 100% measured by ourselves. So we have a big team in terms of farmers. So we build a dormitory nearby the vineyard so they, the couples can stay with their children here. And we also build some uh, library and some basketball park stuff for them to enjoy life here. So they, they can really focus on do everything with care, do everything according to the menu we provide to them. Uh, that's in line with the founder's philosophy. We need to make sure the happy team can really do the happy work on the, on the vineyard so that we can get the best uh, uh, grapes on this land. Yeah, I really believe that. Actually, I think it's uh, Chaputier out in uh, in Rhone area. He actually says the same thing. I only hire happy people because my grapes need to be happy. My soil, when you walk through it, if you're unhappy, it carries that energy. So you're right. It's all about having a happy atmosphere. Is actually one part that we sometimes forget when we talk about winemaking, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, and another thing also some kind of uh, inspire me is uh, the founder is also very, very innovative lady. Because uh, in the vineyard, you can find a lot of uh, interesting tools and machine stuff that is uh, specially designed for this land. Because the desert, the Gobi is so unique, not like other uh, wine regions. So they have a lot of tools and equipments, some is patent, to improve the efficiency and effectiveness to manage the vineyard to produce the high quality grapes. Wow. Okay. Next time you come on, though, I want to know exactly what they are. Do you know what tools that they use? Or is it kind of to dig down and see where there's a water reserve? Or, or what is it? What are some tools? Actually, uh, because the overall soil condition is quite poor, 
before Tensai Vineyard was built, uh, this is totally virgin land. No any agricultural activities has been done on this land, and there is no any stuff has been planted on it. Therefore, in order to get, although uh, grape love those kind of uh, very bare soil, but it's really too bare. So we need to do some stuff to refine the soil. What we do is we use the machine to put the straw underneath the surface of the soil around uh, half meters uh, below the, the surface of the soil. The reason why we do this is after we do the irrigation to the soil, the, the straw will turn to be the organic nutrition stuff to support the grape growth. But in order to make sure the root of the grape will not just stay at the surface, we must put, make sure the straw is put underneath of the soil. So by the end of the day, the grape can grow stronger and stronger and also that the root will be developed uh, underneath stronger and stronger. Okay, so this is first time I've ever heard that. I have to go do research where else in the world they do this. But that is insane to think that you take straw, you put it 50 centimeters under the grapevine just so that it could, you know, decompose and then, like you said, offer some nutrients, but also so that the grapes have something to search for. That's a lot of work. And just a question, do you do that before you plant the grapes or do you do it actually today, which means you probably dig down in the center and then have something else push it? I mean, how do you manage that without killing a vine maybe that's already 25, 15 centimeters down? Yeah, good question. Actually, before we build a vineyard, we do it first, do it first time. It will be even deeper. And then we put the vine on that. And we do the second time or third time will be actually beside the vineyard instead of underneath directly. Mm -hmm. So that when we do this, it's put beside the vine and we do the irrigation and the, the root of the grape can capture the nutrition stuff. That is crazy. So first of all, that is just, I've never heard of that. I know that um, out in Priorat and other regions as well, they use hay and straw to put on top of the vines, right? And they use it as mulching, first of all, decomposes, like you've mentioned, but also to retain water. So when you talked about straw and hay, I thought, hey, that's actually going to be something you put on top. I didn't know that you guys put it under the vine. That technology that sounds expensive. <laughs> actually, the reason why I said that's a patent machine is because actually using machine, you can do it very cost efficiently, mm. but the materials for the zuantou yeah. uh, is the same as the oil petrol plant. Right. It's so like the metal, the metal the, that goes through. Yeah. The metal must be very strong. Otherwise, when you do this, when you go deep into the soil, go to the desert, actually other uh, metal materials will be easily run out. Wow, I can't imagine how much work that is. And actually, one thing I just want to clarify is that you guys also do vine burial, which means that actually what we're what happens here is that because it's very cold, very continental climate in winters, very dry, as you've mentioned, there's a huge amount of, it could be just freeze damage, right, with the vine. So what you guys do in Xinjiang, as well as, of course, at the winery, and Ares and Ningxia do that as well, is they bury the vine overall during winter time to protect it from this extreme cold. You guys do that as well. So not only are you actually giving food to the vineyards in a sense where you're digging it, you're also having to protect it over winter. That's a lot of work. Yeah, in order to make our uh, work into bury the vine easily and also protect our vine at the same time is because the, the good thing is that every vine we build is uh, built by ourselves. So 
Initially, we do not plant it straight. We plant with the angle around 30 degrees to the surface of the soil. So when we do the barrier or we do it uncover, we can use machine to do that because that's the vine is uh, 30 degrees close to the surface, not like straight wall. It will be too difficult for, for machine to cover it all. But if 30 degrees, it will be much easier for you to cover it. And uh, after we use the machine to cover and open it, first of all, we save around 60% of the labor to do that by people. And secondly is we make sure the vine will not be easily harmed throughout this process. Actually, that's very interesting. So, you know, sometimes you go to a, a winery, you see that the vine itself has a, you know, has a nice trunk, it goes straight up. But if you go like, I just saw it recently to a Ningxia, but if you go over to Xinjiang, Martin's just mentioning that instead of it being a straight trunk, you have your trunk going at a 30 degree angle and that allows you to push it down and also allows you to cover it easier as opposed to having it straight and then cracking it as you push it down. And yeah, vine damage is a big deal in Ningxia as well as in Xinjiang because you're really altering the vine. It's a lot of work. And this is not just for a small parcel of land. You guys are doing volume. So this is, when I talk about why prices of wine in China are quite expensive, this is just one of many reasons why it adds to the end of the day, right? Adds to the bottle. Yeah. Actually, the initial stage into investment to find the best way to grow the grapes fit this land to grow the high quality grape really cost big fortune. And we do a lot of tests on the vineyard and also the winemaking process at the same time. We, we just try to find what's the best way. So one of my things is with so much work that you guys put in, are you guys interested and in believe that Xinjiang is the best area still to make wine? Are you still convinced by that? Or do you feel, okay, now we know this is hard to do. We're ready to go to Yunnan. We're ready to explore other areas in China. Or does Tianzai believe Xinjiang is only what they want to focus on? Actually, after 10 years tests, we find out it's amazing because now we have the pattern machine, we have the data, and we have big land to develop at the same time. We can do it much more cost efficiently now. And uh, we can make sure the quality will be consistent, if not better. And we can scale it up. And uh, after we scale it up, it will be even more economic from mm. production perspective. Okay, so just it's a matter of time before it all it all falls into place. Yes. Wow. Jeez, I you know I did not know about some of the secrets you've just told us, and this is the first time I ever hear of it. I have to do some research because I find that to be fascinating. Now, talking a little bit more about the grape varietals that you guys plant, I know you mentioned before that Chardonnay does well for you guys in terms of red. You had Mercedes, Malbec, Cabernet Sauvignon. In regards to the wines, which one have you seen been very successful to introduce to Chinese consumers? What varietal or style of wine from Xinjiang, from you guys, is the easiest to introduce to customers? We set up the sales and marketing company just one year ago. And we try to introduce the wines, not only to the wine critics, wine professionals, we try to sell to the normal mass consumers now. We found out Marsland is the one they are most interested in because cons consumers know Cap Sauvignon is a very famous variety and they have tasted 100 points of Cap Sauvignon from Napa, from Australia, from Bordeaux. But they have never tasted high quality Marsalan before. And meanwhile, we found out Marsalan is the variety from South France, but it really 
perform very outstanding here in China. Most likely, it can be something like Malbec from Argentina. So this is interesting story to hook the consumer to trial, and uh, they found out it does fit their taste profile in terms of rich, in terms of the full-bodied stuff.、Mm. I love it. Actually, if you guys don't know what Marsan is, it is a grape as you mentioned developed in south of France and really, I think, taking up here in in China. What's also exciting is that I think about one month ago, the Bordeaux government now allows you to have a percentage. I think maximum ten percent of the wine in your Bordeaux bottle can be Marsan. Because climate change, so they think this is one of the great varietals of the future. So you're going to start to see it more and more around the world. And I actually did a podcast with、uh, Julien Boulard, Master of Wine, only about Marsalin. So if you want to know more, then go check that one out.、Great. Now, Martin, I want to know a little bit more before we almost wrap this up. Who is the consumer of Tianzai wines here in China? Do you see it in big cities? Is that the potential of Xinjiang wines? Is it in big cities like Shanghai, Beijing, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, or do you see this being easier to start off in Xinjiang and then work your way out of Xinjiang for sales? Do you think that it's the big cities first, or is it the small cities first? Actually, the portion of sales before we set up the sales and marketing company. The majority of sales is from Xinjiang because the people live there understand how hard you have been working on the land, so they are easily convinced that deserve the price to try this product. Afterwards, we found out actually it's not geography focus. It, I think that our consumer has more clear difference between age. Actually, the younger consumers are the more interest level or intention they love to try our products. Because、uh, we do the sales throughout the internet, we found out actually、uh, the people who are who was born in after 1990, as long as they can read our story, go through our product introduction, the conversion rate is very high, and uh, the consumers uh, older than、uh, 1970 most likely okay they believe for this price point, imported products will be more credible. So that's what we found so far. But、uh, when we do the below line activities in terms of consumer training and consumer trial stuff, they are really impressed by the style of、uh, Xinjiang wine, Tianzhan winery products, because not only the full body、uh, rich style through our techniques, because we do pay a lot of attention to make sure our wine is really not elegantly balanced. So they are really. Enjoy this kind of balance, and they enjoy this the purity of our wine characteristic because、uh, I think it's mainly driven by our land is a virgin land, and we 100% into grapes was handpicked by our farmers. So the the overall purity of the wine is very impressive for them. You know, it's interesting that you said that, Martin. Is that the young consumers, as you mentioned, after 1990, are interested in Chinese wines, and all the time I agree with you on that. Every time I read about outside news, let's say people from the U.S. talking about China, and they say, "Oh, the young generation wants global brands; they want international brands." I find that to be the opposite these days. When you look at the cars that they start to buy, even some of the great clothes brands, I think young consumers here are starting to believe now that China can make great products, whether it's technology, cars, wine, clothes. And maybe ten, fifteen, twenty years ago, the idea was outside products are better, right? 
And now it's shifting a little bit like how I, I think of Japan. Remember 20 years ago, it was made in Japan was cheap, but today made in Japan is, is a high quality product. So I think that's kind of where we're going with a lot of things happening here in China. And as you've mentioned, it's exciting for me to hear that the young generation is as excited on trying wines, whereas a lot of us overseas think Chinese wines is for the old consumers. The young consumers only want foreign products. I'm glad that you clear that up for us because I do see that. I do see a lot of young consumers excited and proud of the quality that's being produced right now in our, in China. Yeah. Very excited times. My gosh. And of course, my last question for you is, can you tell us if we had to choose one of your wines to try first, which one would you recommend for us and why? Yeah. For overseas consumers, we have our wine distributed in Singapore, in uh, France, in UK. So I believe you can start from the selection Chardonnay, which will be very safe choice because no matter what kind of preference into taste profile you are, the Tensai uh, selection Chardonnay is very impressive in terms of balance, in terms of purity. Mm, I like that because a lot of the time I think of a hot climate, right? Or a warm climate. I think of big Chardonnay. So it's going to be interesting to try those. And I'm excited for you guys to all give me your notes on this. Martin, thank you so much for your time. This has been so insightful. I've learned a lot about the winery. And I'm really excited, you guys. Send in your questions if you have more uh, questions for Martin. I'd love to touch base with you once we get more questions from our listeners. But thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Emily. Thank you for the invitation. It's really my honor to come over here to share Tiansai with you. Of course. Cheers. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you love this podcast, make sure to share it with a friend or click five stars on iTunes to show your support. 